Well, good morning. Welcome to the September 14th edition of the Ag Market Network, our monthly cotton teleconference. Our program is sponsored by BASF, the owners of FiberMax and Stoneville Seed. They have been our supporters for many years. We're very appreciative to what they do to bring this program to you. Uh, our cotton discussion today it will be led by Dr. John Robinson, and he'll join our cotton panel, Dr. O.A. Cleveland and Gerald Nieper and Kip Butts. John, thanks for being with us and, uh, and leading the discussion today. You're welcome, Pat. Good morning to everybody. Um, I want to characterize this report, uh, the total of it, as uh, friendly in the, in the monthly adjustment, but perhaps disappointing in the resulting levels. That is to say that ending stocks are still relatively high, so let me, let me get into all that. If we look at the world, the foreign and world balance sheets, we saw some tightening across the board. We um, ending, or excuse me, carry-in, beginning stocks uh, were a little over a million bales fewer compared to August. That was mostly in India, which ought to make folks happy with all the clamor about USDA versus India numbers. Um, the estimate, the September estimate of world production, they lowered 330,000 bales month over month, and that was actually the result of kind of netting out a whole bunch of offsetting changes. For example, they cut Pakistan 300,000, they raised India 300,000, they cut Turkey 200,000, they raised Australia 200,000, uh, they lowered the U.S. a million, and they raised China three-quarters of a million. So the sum total of all those adjustments, like I said, was 330,000 bales fewer of production. That number was pretty much offset by lowering consumption. World consumption was cut 360,000 bales month over month. That was mostly spread over the U.S. and Brazil and Mexico. Um, so the sum total of all that was a little over a million fewer bales of world-ending stocks, which, I mean, that's good in terms of it's going in the right direction but it still leaves us with almost 104 million bales, which is a historically high um, bearish number. So that was the world situation. The U.S. adjustments, the U.S. story with this report is kind of kind of similar. Starting off, we had uh, they were tinkering with, with uh, mill use and exports from the 1920 marketing year. That resulted in 50,000 more bales of carry-in in the current marketing year, which raises that to seven and a quarter million bales of carry-in. And let me say, of all the elements on this U.S. balance sheet, this carry-in is, is perhaps the most bearish in, in the sense that it's large, it adds to the supply, and it's the most fixed. It's probably the most fixed and certain number on the, on the balance sheet. So we got that. Then they tinkered with U.S. production in several ways. First of all, they cut acreage. Um, for the 20 crop by 70,000 acres, they raised abandonment from 24% to 26%, which if I looked at it right, it's the fourth highest in, in 20 years anyway, and maybe the fourth highest ever. Um, yields were lowered uh, from 938 last month, which nobody really believed, to 910. Uh, some people may think that average is still unbelievably high, but you know we're averaging in a lot of record record yields in some places in the eastern cotton belt, strong yields in places, and in 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 the southern plains we're averaging in a lot of remaining irrigated crop because the because they lost most of the dry land. So 
Anyhow, the sum total of all those reinforcing effects uh, added up to a million bale cut in uh, new crop production from 18 million to 17 million bales. Um, that that production cut was a little more than expected. I think the the average of the pre-report uh, guesstimates, I forget if it was the Reuters or the Bloomberg survey, was they folks were basically looking for a 17 and a half million, that is to say a 500,000 bale cut, and we got a million bale cut. Um, having a million fewer bales of production, you might expect having uh, fewer exportable surpluses, and that was reflected by USDA decreasing uh, the U.S. exports number by 400,000 bales month over month. And so um, the bottom line of all that was lowering ending stocks from 7.6 million to 7.2. Okay. Again, that's moving in the right direction, but 7.2 million is still still pretty high and in stocks to use terms it's 42 percent which is kind of above the 40 percent rule of thumb the 40 percent threshold that that i would judge you know being bullish or bearish or or uh, thinking about it that way it's, it's still a very, very high level okay so let me conclude with just a few comments about some of the um accuracy or reliability of, of the USDA data that goes into this report. We think of this, I think of the September report as, as a benchmark uh, supply and demand uh, kind of report. And so the questions, typical of this time of the year, they focus on uh, the acreage and the yield and the abandonment that's, that's figured in here. So here's what we know about the acreage. So NAS, you know, as of the September crop production report, they're they're figuring 12 million planted, roughly 3 million of which are abandoned, giving us 9 million harvested. Okay. According to NAS, they're, also, they're incorporating all the current, what's known of the FSA certified data circa September the 1st. Those FSA data show 9.8 million planted, and I interpret that as planted, presumably still standing, potentially harvested. So 9.8 million planted and 2 million failed, okay? So 9.8 and 2 million. So we're talking FSA showing 11.8 million total versus NASA's 12 million total. 200,000 acre difference there, which, you know, in the great scheme of things, I don't think that's that wide of a discrepancy in it. It probably won't get worked out. Typically, they don't resolve those kinds of things until sometime in the winter, when we'll get a we'll get a NAS adjustment in in acreage. Um, what I hear anecdotally is that uh, some of the FSA offices are a little behind schedule inputting or reporting some of the certified data that they acreage data that they have. So maybe this discrepancy in FSA reporting is understandable. Um, and perhaps more certified failed acres from Texas will, will get reported. Um, since, uh, since NAS says they've considered all the data that they have, I would conclude that NAS thinks that FSA certifications of failed acres is going to increase from 2 million in the direction of NAS's abandonment number. And I, I figure NAS probably historically knows what the difference is between FSA numbers and, and their own, so they're they're taking that into account with their abandonment estimate right now. Uh, all right, that's all I want to say about acres. The other thing that you know typically gets called into question this time of the year is just NASA's survey data. Um, 
for the record, NASA does two types of surveys to, to get the data for this report. The first one is they did another round of what they call their manager survey, which is just basically they're contacting growers um, through phone, email, Internet, and they're getting updated information about yields and acres. They did that last month, and they followed up this month doing the same thing. Then this month, they implemented their widespread objective yield survey. They did that in Arkansas, Georgia, Mississippi, and all the rest of Texas. And that's where they go out and do 40 feet. Um, they do bowl counts on 40 feet a row. In Texas, they did that in 670 locations. And they'll return to those same locations and do follow-up samples in the next few months. Now, the question comes up, you know, is that enough? Is that, is that perfect? Well, no, nothing's, no survey process is perfect. Is it big enough? I would say, number one, it's the biggest it's the biggest survey that I know of, um, and it's big enough compared to what? You know, the, the comparison is uh, me drinking coffee in my office, you know, contacting people. It, it's bigger and better than that. It's bigger than anybody looking out their back window or looking out their windshield. And I, I think people have to consider it, that the USDA process is, is it's repeatable, it's consistent, and it has a good track record in terms of the estimates they put out now compared to the final number. Um, they can they can verify that um, that the accuracy is statistically pretty good. So I have no basis for questioning the quality or the validity of the data that goes into this report. You know, not that things won't happen going forward. We're looking at a hurricane right now. It may have you know freezes will happen. Things will happen, um, and NASA will get updated data, and they'll revise their forecasts, and they'll reconcile their they'll continue to reconcile their acreage data with FSA. They always do that do that stuff every year. Um, so anyhow, I just would suggest that people take take this report seriously as a as a um, as an indicator of what uh, what is out there in terms of the supply and the demand. And I would, in my opinion, I think, and I would ask people to consider the futures markets already probably priced in the production question, largely priced it in at this point. So if I was a farmer with unpriced cotton, I wouldn't be waiting for another big cut in U.S. production to save me with higher prices. I might think there's other reasons for prices to go up, but I, I think this production question is, from this point forward, is a fading influence. So, Pat, that's what I had. Okay. Appreciate All right. Well, let's thank you, John. Let's open it up for everybody, but I'll just update you and let you know, right at this moment, December cotton, is up 100, 111 at 65.92 with the high on the day of 65.95. Someone had mentioned earlier, 66 was kind of the level that's been talked about for farmers to start selling some cotton, and so we're very close to that. But let's just open it up. What thoughts have you got, Gerald? <clears throat> um, I, I think. The thought that I have is, is Friday afternoon they released the uh, commitment of traders report, and uh, the commitment of the traders report was as of uh, September 8th, which was Tuesday of last week, and, and it was Tuesday of last week I believe that we hit hit a low of 63.40, and then the market turned around and came back. Well, what was fascinating about this report is you know you would expect to see that the commercials uh, might have covered some shorts in there at the lows. But in fact, what the commercials did, they added almost 1.4 million bales of new logs. 
and uh, the, they they only added seventy seven thousand bales of, of new shorts. So that was that stands out like a, a a sore thumb out there. A Kip, I don't know if you've ever seen that before in a week where everything seems so bearish, and yet the trade adds almost one point four million bales of of new longs out there. And and that's telling me that, you know, possibly, quite possibly, there's a big sale that's going to show up pretty soon on a uh, on an export sales report. So, uh, and, and, of course, we all know that China needs, if China wants to uh, uh, continue to try to uh, uh, comply with the phase one, they've got to do a lot of buying here. Uh, so, I, you know, I wouldn't let that, number go by lightly. Um, 66 cents, yeah, maybe there's going to be some selling. But I think with this number here, I I kind of think that's going to drive us toward that 68 cent level. Uh, I don't know why. It just feels like something is brewing out there. Um, it, you know, and if, if you take out that 66.45, 40 area that, that we had our recent highs, you know, the managed money guys are going to jump back in, I think, with, with both feet. So that's that's what struck me, not anything about the USDA supply-demand report, but this whole commitment of traders' report. The supply-demand report, I was a little disappointed with, with the reaction. Um, I thought, man, you cut, you know, production by a million bales in the United States, and what, we get an 80-point rally, and then we settle unchanged? I thought that's pretty disappointing. And then you get this uh, uh, commitment of traders report combined with whatever Sally is going to do. Um, it could still strengthen, although you know they're calling it that, that Hurricane Sally not to be as bad as they maybe they originally thought. But those things have had a tendency to to uh, <laughs> to, to to get a lot worse, you know, just surprisingly. And uh, so combined with that, I don't know. I, I, uh, I think we, we may be able to run this thing up a little higher than we think right now, yep. at least in the very short term. Kip, are you, what are you thinking, Kip? Well, I, I really like the fact that, that Gerald brought up that commitment of traders report. Uh, I, I think that I've um, – I think there's a lot of room should specify side they want to come in here, and oftentimes they're momentum traders, and Gerald alluded to that. Uh, if we get through that 66.45 area, whatever that number is right in there, I think they're liable to come back. But the, the bigger deal, I think, is is Gerald touched on the, uh, the Phase 1 agreement and China's desire, it appears, to uh, fulfill that commitment. And although they don't have to just buy cotton, cotton is, in fact, in relative terms, a kind of expensive commodity, so they can kind of buy more of it and uh, fulfill that commitment quicker. Also, if we look at their supply-demand situation, their crop size and their expected consumption has a pretty good shortfall. They sold quite a lot of cotton out of the reserve, which they want to at some point replenish. So I think they, uh, I think China, as it is always a big factor for the for the cotton market, I, I think it takes on an added validity with this phase one, and that at least as we speak, USDA may have underestimated the amount of total imports that China will have this year. 
And uh, after they decide to increase the reserve, or not increase, but replenish the reserve, and uh, and perhaps get their short their production to consumption shortfall, maybe not completely um, in imports, but there's the incentive for them to do that. So um, that's and that in and of itself is just bullish. I think the uh, the cotton market. Maybe not in the short term, but as these things unfold, I think it will give us the opportunity to see at least, if not significantly higher prices, at least well-supported prices, which means we're not going to go down a lot, despite the fact uh, that John mentioned earlier, and it's blown my mind the whole time, we're looking at at uh, world stocks of over 100 million bales, and uh, the market just won't seem to go down to levels of, uh, Gerald, I, I think, made a good point. Something's brewing. we just got to figure out what it is. So that's sort of where I'm thinking right now on this. Okay. Did More OA than you wanted to know, maybe. Excuse me. Did we, OA, no, are ahead, you with sir. us? Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Well, we're we're anxious to hear what your me. thoughts are. Okay. The thing is, uh, several things struck me. One, the first was that in all the adjustments the USDA made, the one thing that came through the report from the beginning to end was that uh, world stocks changed only uh, based on what USDA did with beginning stocks. Uh, that was the basis for the adjustment, even though we did they did tinker with the major tinkering with Chinese stocks, US, or U.S. production, Chinese production. Uh, various uh, consumption elements in countries, but uh, you know, the, coming down a million bales—that's uh, basically what they did with uh, with beginning stocks. So, in that sense, there wasn't a lot of change. The second thing that struck me was that uh, they 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 did proclaim that there are now fewer stocks outside of China uh, than prior estimates. So that's basically tells us, well, maybe our the potential for our export share is still there. Uh, nevertheless, they did show and project that the U.S. share of, of exports is coming down. In other words, we're lose, losing market share, uh, and specifically to, to, to Brazil, uh, but in this particular year, Australia, Brazil, India are gaining market share, and that's uh, that's certainly concerning to me. Uh, the uh, other thing that we've talked about this morning is uh, uh, the, the three-week, two-and-a-half-week-old news that uh, USDA, uh, excuse me, that U.S. Customs uh, has already put in force and has been limiting. Uh, textile imports from Xinjiang uh, for some months, but though they've only been very sporadic and uh, only in the process of opening a program to limit additional imports of Chinese textiles into the U.S. But now that that, for, that program is prepared to move full force, they've not actually activated, but they're on the precept of activating that, and we're expecting that to be this week that it does open the way for Chinese imports, um, excuse me, Chinese, uh, yes, Chinese imports of U.S. cotton or any cotton opens that door a bit wider, and Kip spoke to that. So 
I would anticipate that we will see more imports to China. Gerald suggested the Clipper traders might be telling us that there's some export sales coming out there, and I think that's, I would agree with him 100%. That's exactly what I think we're seeing. So I think we do see our exports to China increase. Uh, we, I think we do see that USDA has underestimated uh, Chinese exports. The flip side of that coin is, well, maybe they've not underestimated U.S. exports in total, but they've underestimated exports to China. Uh, we're just lagging in countries outside of China, uh, somewhat not true for Vietnam, maybe, but we're lagging in export sales to countries outside of China. But I think we'll see a big increase in sales to China. So I, as I said two weeks ago when I wrote my newsletter, I said flip-flop. Uh, I'm changing. You're not going to hear any more bearish news out of me. And I'm still on that bandwagon to get up to 67.5 cents. I'm not sure we can do it uh, in October or not, but uh, I'm still on that bandwagon to get there, and then we'll just see where we go there if we can take it higher. You don't mind. Let, let me interrupt here and just, just follow up on what I always said about the uh, the potential for Chinese imports. Uh, we saw China open up a 400,000 ton processing quota, uh, which if, a lot of people may not be familiar with that. That means that they can import the cotton, process it for re-export. And that would tell us, or it gives us the potential for China to sort of change the way they've done things. They've, they've moved things from the eastern and central part of the country to the west to Xinjiang, and we are aware of some, uh, not only what uh, Owe mentioned about U.S., but Europe has also done some of their contracts with China saying, we want evidence or, or assurances that no Xinjiang cotton or processing was done in Xinjiang to these retail products. That should or could allow China to open more of these processing uh, quotas, which would encourage imports and re uh, imports of raw cotton exports of the product, which would benefit U.S. and Brazil primarily, as uh, you know, to increase their sales to China. So that supports the argument I think uh, that always making that we may wind up uh, with a little better business. We being the world to China than people uh, might have expected a few weeks ago. So you, I, I'm just saying the same thing, way just expanding it a bit. If that unfolds, though, would, would you foresee them trying to retaliate in any way, or does the phase one thing just encourage them? By that, I mean we're putting sanctions on them. They need to import more cotton. I could see them being a little pissed off that this all started with us putting sanctions on them. So could you see us returning to the trade war kind of scenario or does the phase one sort of take that possibility away? See what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't see that it's so clear cut that they yeah. import U.S. cotton if they're, yeah. if they're angry my, at us. Yeah, well, my, my thought on that, just and I hope others might disagree with this, but I think that it's pretty important for China at this point. This phase one sort of gives them a... Um, 
they have a reputation for not necessarily fulfilling their uh, their contractual agreements on things, and so I think this gives them the opportunity to uh, you know show that they'll follow up on an agreement. Uh, so they have the incentive to do that. I, I would be surprised if it turns into a trade war, just because they do have the ability to internally take their domestic. Uh, retail and use Zenjian and cotton and use these processing to re-export. That way, they still get the benefit of the textile exports, uh, and they we don't have to have a trade war over it. Yeah, if they didn't have that incentive, I think there's a, a higher probability that that could happen. I think at this point, it's not in either country's best interest to do that, so I think they'll both try to do what they can to keep that from happening. I, that's just my thoughts on it right now. Hope maybe somebody else has some something better to offer than what I just provided. No, Kip, that's just exactly right the way I see it as well. Plus, it goes much, much deeper than just the U.S.-China trade war, trade disagreement. Now that Europe has come in and basically said, we don't want cotton, we don't want textile products from Xinjiang, uh, and that they are in the process of effectively doing the same thing that the U.S. is doing now in banning Xinjiang textile imports. Uh, Europe is in the process of the same thing, uh, de facto anyway, if not literally written on paper as it is in the U.S. Uh, so in order to satisfy their European market to keep from losing it completely to the Bangladesh market uh, of folks, they uh, they've got to they've got to buy into this. In fact, they have bought into this, and that's why they continue to to pepper the U.S. export market every week and just buy cotton, buy cotton, buy cotton. Uh, it, it's 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 moving on. The trade war, I think, is basically it's not going to be resolved until after the presidential election as to which way we go on that. But uh, I, I think uh, this has this issue has uh, surpassed the trade war uh, without question. Okay, I, I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. Excuse me, Pat. How how you fully implement this this ban? I mean, because it's not just cotton from Xinjiang. I mean, cotton, you know, this yarn ends up in, in Bangladesh. It ends up in the Goa nations in Africa. It, you know, ends up in Vietnam. I don't know how you keep track of all this Xinjiang <laughs> cotton without banning yeah. cotton from virtually every country in the, in the world. Everywhere, everywhere. I mean, it's it's pretty integrated, and, and I don't think the products out of Xinjiang come with a label that says proudly made in Xinjiang province with slave labor. Yeah, with slave labor. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Well, you know, all you have well, to do is just go in and look at the customs uh, control. They've been actively involved in this, and we've talked about it for probably about nine months, and they've been banning uh, shipments, and they've been impounding shipments at the ports here in the United States. There's been not been much news about it, and they've made their calls about which mills tend to be involved. And, though, you know, I doubt if we'll get 100% of anything. Uh that's that's kind of difficult to do, but uh, the point is that they make a, make a difference 
they get close to the product, and it 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 it, it, it sells itself that way. Uh, the customs has not been looking for news about talking about this. It's there if you want to go find it, uh, so you don't see much about it. But uh, they've been very active in it, and people that work with them, they have called them and told them when they locked up shipments at U.S. ports would not let them be unloaded. And we're beginning to see more of that, and now they publicly said that they're going to open up, that they're going to become much more active. It's been around, the news has been out for well over, uh, it's been widespread for well over two weeks, and it's uh, it's been going on for at least three months. And, you know, to Owe's point, I, I, sort of tangentially there is, is the, that I guess, you know, with a billion people over there in China, that they could easily satisfy their domestic market needs with Xinjiang cotton. And to the extent that uh, they're re-exporting other goods, you know, maybe in the future all they continue to do is, is, is increase the usage of the, uh, of the processing quota. Okay, let's, for our farmer listeners who are always asking this question, let me ask it of the group. Any suggestions for uh, any strategies here? I mean, we're trading right now at 65.84. Since we've been talking, we got to 66.12. Just any ideas on selling cotton, buying calls, or just buying puts and where and that type thing? I just would like us to address that. You know the the weight of world supplies is is humongous, and and you know you sit here and you go, we should be at fifty cents right now with with a hundred and four million bale expected carryover, but you know we're not, and so you know how much higher can we go? Um, you know, OA suggested sixty seven and a half. I'm thinking sixty eight. You know, outside chance that you know maybe you touch seventy, but I, I think I think you're in the I think right now you're in the the, the, the later innings of, of the uh, 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 of the ball game, so you know anything from 66 cents and higher. I don't think a grower should be too scared about uh, pricing some cotton. But because things are so topsy turvy, you probably ought to buy a call. You know, even a you know a March or May. You know, seventy, seventy-two cent call, something that's not going to cost over maybe two cents um, at, at, at most. Um, but uh, to just sit here and wait for this thing to to get up higher, you know, particularly with with all the supplies out there, it's 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 hard to tell a guy to to, to wait. Um, so you know, sixty-six cents and higher, I, I think a guy ought to be doing something. You know, twenty-five percent. Thirty percent, maybe even fifty percent of your crop um, from from this point from this point forward. And I'd agree with that. And I talked to a couple of growers in the last couple of days. You know, one is I think taking a taking a contract and bought calls, and the other one has has his cotton with a pool, and so he's expecting the downside to be covered by his by his pool. Uh, getting the biggest LDP, and he's he bought calls himself too, sort of as a hedge against, I guess, the pool missing out on the upside. So, kind of the same thought. 
I think it's a reasonable strategy given this market, and I, I agree it's kind of hard to ignore 100-plus million bales in the world despite the fact that, that you know, outside of China that's getting a little tighter, but it's in, at least as, as I, I view it right now, it's not tight enough to really support a, a, a runaway kind of market. So I think the potential from a fundamental perspective is for a lower rather than higher market and uh, it doesn't have to go a lot lower it just means you don't want to miss the opportunity as 66 cents plus so you just you scale in here and, and, and you get some selling done and if you want to uh, uh, buy some cheap puts out there or even sell some calls on the um, in December and buy some calls in March to try to offset. That way you're playing both sides of the fence because, quite honestly, we don't know. We we have some ideas, but we don't know. So that that's something to sort of perhaps think about, too. Yeah, I, I, I very much agree with you. The, the, the idea is, let's say, gosh, we get, uh, we, we, we get these sales, so we, we get another... Uh, 600,000, 700,000 bales sale to China. Uh, uh, well, we're still going to have carryover uh, in excess of 6 million bales. Uh, it, we may still have carryover in excess of 6.5 million bales here in the U.S., and that's just huge, uh, as, as the, the, the guys have alluded to. And the world is still going to have carryover in excess of 100 million bales. So we're, I would say, use this phrase, if I may, rather excitedly bullish sitting where we are today. But we get two, three, uh, maybe maybe four cents higher than we are today, and I don't think we are the least bit bullish. Uh, uh, we're, we're, we're saying we've stretched this market out, but Again, these great sales we're still going to have not record carryover, but uh, a very excessive carryover. And one thing that's playing in our favor possibly is that as we look out a year uh, and we start seeing some of the, the we, we, we look out at the current draft and the drought, drought in Europe and the potential disaster of the rapes crop in, in France, then all of a sudden the oil seed market may, may, may blow up a bit and it'll, it'll take production away from us uh, in 2021. And uh, that'll all of a sudden in one year we take care of that world carryover, uh, particularly given what's going on in Europe with the drought and what we're seeing with respect to Chinese uh, needs for, for oil seeds and corn and pork. Uh, but, but for this particular crop, it's it's hard to get. Uh, you you got to climb a tall ladder to get get above seventy cents. Okay, um, let's just quickly unmute the lines and see if anybody's got any questions, and then we're going to need to wrap it up. I'm going to unmute the lines. If you're listening and you got a question for anyone on our panel, please ask it. Any questions? All right. Nope. 
No questions of, of the panel? Well, we did a great job today. Yeah. Anybody want to start out just by saying how stupid we are? That's okay, too. <laughs> we already know that. Yeah, I was going to say, we don't need that. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Let's... Uh, we... Uh, uh, I think we've covered everything. The um, the the we've gone over our outlook. I think pretty well. Made some suggestions. So uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, want to thank uh, want to thank everybody for joining us. Want to thank uh, BASF, uh, the owners of FiberMax and Stoneville Seed, for sponsoring us and being part of what we do. We're very appreciative of that. Uh, and uh, thanks to you, John, for leading us today in our cotton panel. And that concludes this edition of the Ag Market Network. Uh, we'll see you next month. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Pat. Bye-bye. So long, everybody.